Hi guys, welcome to Blunt Blowing Mama Podcast. I'm your host, Shanitria, and I'm here talking about all things cannabis and parenthood because that's what I do. I am a mom to two kids. I have a four-year-old daughter and an eight-month-old son. And let me tell you, it's a lot, okay? (laughs) Woo, chow. It's a lot raising two kids, but I do it, and I do it with the help of cannabis. And I just don't think that my life and, like, all the things that I've been able to accomplish and, like, all the things that I've been able to do and just raising two kids and having, you know, a relationship I've been with my man for like over eight years and it's definitely been all sponsored by cannabis. (laughs) I mean, I don't even know which other way to put it. Anywho, so on this episode of the podcast, I have a super special guest for y'all. Her name is Michelle and she's the writer of a really dope weed etiquette book. I'm just going to call it a weed etiquette book. (laughs) And she's also the... I don't know, like creator, planner, everything behind one of the dopest weed parties out there. It's called the Weed Rave. And we were just chatting it up about like partying with weed and her experiences with weed and just all things weed. (laughs) So let's sesh together so that we can be baked and listen to this episode together. I mean, I feel like now that I have this podcast and I'm always smoking weed on the podcast, I can't even listen to podcasts without being high. Like, it's just like, it makes so much sense, right? Like you sit there on somewhere chill and like you smoke some weed and just listen to a podcast. Like why the fuck not? (laughs) So as you guys know, this is the part of the podcast where I like to sesh with you guys and I am smoking out of my bong today as I always like to smoke out of my bong because I love my bong and I am smoking some lava cake, which is a hybrid. It's really straight down the middle. I think it leans, well, maybe it's not really straight down the middle. I think it's straight down a little. <laughs> maybe it's not straight down the middle. I think it definitely does lean more on the uplifting side. So it's definitely something that you can use in the daytime. As a mom, I'm always trying to find strains that allow me to function during the day and at night. I don't need to be on my ass. I know that Gorilla Glue number four is one of those strains where I will be on my ass and it's a hybrid. But for me, the in the way that my body is set up, Gorilla Glue number four always hits me like a fucking indica. It makes me sleepy. It literally couch locks me. I like, <laughs> I ain't experienced no couch lock like what Gorilla Glue number four can do to a bitch. I will be on, I will be glued like fucking, like you super glued me to that bitch. Like Gorilla Glue number four. <laughs> you, you Gorilla Glued my ass down to this fucking couch. So. I don't really smoke um, Gorilla Glue number four that much for that reason. <laughs> Unless I'm really seeking that. And I just don't have time for that kind of feeling. But, you know, you don't know um, what a strain's effects will be on you until you try it. And that's kind of the fun about going on a little cannabis journey and like, you know, experimenting and trying different strains and trying, you know, if you're just fucking with flour, like there's so many strains out there that you will be experimenting forever. I remember when me and Bay moved to here to LA, like almost three years ago. Oh my gosh. Like, and we were coming from New York and our dealer usually only had like one or two strains. So we didn't really have a variety to choose from and coming here and going into a dispensary 
and literally having like dozens of strains. And that's just one dispensary because each dispensary has its own like strains that they carry. So it's like hundreds and thousands of strains to try. And we, every time we read up, we got a different strain. We try something different. And like, it was that, I think that was the most fun we've had in our relationship in a long time. And now that we're kind of like, we're, you know, we're like, we're not vets. We ain't OGs in this weed game, but we definitely been doing it for a while. So we, you know, now we kind of have an idea of like what stuff we like, what we don't like, and we kind of stick to what we like. But like, I'm, we're both always open to trying new strains and new things and, you know, we'll fuck with it. We'll fuck, we'll fuck with it once. You know, there ain't no, ain't no harm in that. So, <laughs> anyways, let's smoke some weed, okay? <laughs> so grab your joint or your vape or your pipe or whatever it is that you like to smoke out of, and let's do this. Cheers. Oh, yeah. That was really good. Oh, sugar, sugar. Dun, 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 dun. Oh, honey, honey. <laughs> I don't know. That just popped in my head. I don't know. <laughs> Well, I feel right and fine, dandy like a dandelion. <laughs> I like this strain. I, I like it. it. It definitely helps me chill the fuck out and get some things done and just not allow myself to become overwhelmed with my never ending laundry list of things that I have to do. I mean, I always have so many things and there are only so many hours in the day. Help! <laughs> But I keep on going and I don't let that little shit get me down. And I enjoy every moment with my kids and I still play with them and I love tickling them. It's the best. My baby boy. I don't know. I haven't talked about my kids on here lately um, with you guys. But update, my baby boy is like eight and a half months old now. And he's trying so hard to walk unassisted. He can already walk with assistance. That's like not that's nothing to him. Like he's like, oh, yeah, fine. He's crawling everywhere. He gets into so much trouble. Like he'll get into anything. Like I feel like my daughter wasn't as much of an explorer as he is. Like she just loved jumping off of shit. So we just had to make sure she wasn't like risking her life because she was just, she liked to climb and jump off shit. Like that was her thing. And I was like, okay, sis, so I want you to live. You got to make it to your first birthday. But with him, he's just like so curious and like touches everything wants to put everything in his mouth wants to like grab he's just like so curious and he's saying mama oh my gosh and he can say dada and he says baba he has three words to his vocabulary already mind you i used weed when i was pregnant with this little boy okay like i he is a cannabis baby i used cannabis when i was pregnant with him and he has three words to his vocabulary at eight and a half months old he's already trying to walk unassisted he's 25 fucking pounds he's so big oh he's so chubby and chunky you guys have you seen photos of him that I posted on Instagram, you know that this is not like 
he ain't no big headed small body baby he's big all over he's a big all over baby <laughs> and I love him I love him for that so yeah I mean I and, and my daughter is doing great we've been I bought like a whole bunch of like workbooks so that we can start practicing with her writing her name and writing her alphabet and tracing and coloring the lines I bought her some like preschool scissors so we're practicing with like cutting and stuff and we do that for like two hours every day um, just because I feel like I have to, you know, <laughs> you have to, I want her to be ready for kindergarten and I want her to you know, feel confident and not feel like she's behind or anything. And just doing, just doing my due diligence as a parent, you know, just doing my damn job, you know, just, I don't expect anyone to parent my kids for me. So a lot of the things that they need to know about the world and life, I'm teaching them. So I definitely am going to start talking to her about cannabis more soon because I never really talked to her about it. Aside from the basics, like don't touch this, you know, this is a bong, it's a glass, it'll break, it can hurt you. And it's also mommy's, it costs a lot of money. <laughs> so don't touch it. So she knows like on that level, like, okay, I can't touch this. I can't touch that. It's mama's, it's mama's glass. So she knows. But, you know, I definitely want to start talking to her more about like cannabis as a plant and cannabis as a flower. And so I've been thinking about how I want those conversations to go. And I'll keep you guys posted on it because I, a lot of you guys have been asking me about like how do I plan to talk to my kids about cannabis and you know long story short I plan on talking to them about it like everything else that I have to teach them about the world you know about like you know being a responsible adult and paying your taxes you got to teach them <laughs> teaching them how to be kind and how to love themselves and how to love others and teaching you know my son how to be a gentleman and teaching my daughter how to be a lady and teaching them to be kind to others and teaching them about consent and teaching them about what it means to be black in America and teaching my daughter about what it means to be a woman and you know the things that you're going to encounter as a woman in this life and, and teaching my son how to treat a woman even if he doesn't date women he still needs to know how to treat women just because you gay don't mean that you get to disrespect women okay <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, like all men, regardless of who you are, you know, humping at night, <laughs> do what you want, do you boo. But like, just, you know, learn how to respect women, treat women and respecting women is like respecting everything that women have to go through, respecting that, you know, you came from a woman and respecting those things and raising my son to be a feminist and kicking his ass if he's not. <laughs> but he's such a mama's boy right now. It actually makes no sense. And I'm I'm like, oh, I'm so in love with that baby. I'm so in love with that baby. It's crazy. And I, I posted recently on Instagram on in Blunt Blowing Mama's Instagram stories that I was ready to have another kid because <laughs> my baby boy is so cute. I'm just like, oh, you're growing up like you're almost one like he literally he's eight and a half months he's gonna be one soon and I'm just like yo like I just want you to stay a baby forever because I know like once they turn one it's a wrap all that baby shit was cute and all now it's over and they're about to be assholes <laughs> not really but you know like the, the cuteness and them not being able to run away from you yeah that part's over now you're gonna be chasing after them so that's not fun <laughs> but you know I'm looking forward to it and Bay, obviously men men always want another kid because they don't have to do shit you know what i'm saying like change some shitty diapers so what like they they wanted so he wants another one but we know that we're just gonna have to be patient and wait because i am nowhere near physically ready to have another baby that's one emotionally totally i would actually wreck i would have to be committed like i wouldn't be able to function it emotionally 
and mentally if we were to have another baby right now. So I just know my limitations. And financially, ain't nobody got time for that. Another hospital bill, I'm good. (laughs) Yeah, man, I mean, it's just, it's a lot having kids. So you got to make sure, I mean, you're never really ready. That's the thing. People always ask me like, I don't know if I want to have kids. I'm like, well, do you want to have kids? People know if they want to have kids and they don't want to have kids. Like some people are like, I don't want to ever have kids. And like, that's cool. You know what you want. Some people... I want to have kids. I've always wanted to have kids. Okay, cool. But the difference between I know if I want to have kids, I don't know if I want to have kids. Like, you know, you know. But what people are worried about is if they're ready. And I always just say, you're never going to be ready. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's not like you can just save all this money and there's a magical amount of money that will make you ready for kids because is your relationship solid? Are you solid? Are you 100% confident in yourself and loving yourself? And you, you know, you have self-care routines that will take care of you and your relationship with your partner is that solid like all these things that you need to ask yourself and take into consideration before you bring another life into this world you know and if you feel like your relationship is rocky or maybe you're not in a relationship and you just feel like you're in a place in your life when you're ready for a kid then like my question to you is like are you really you are you going to have the village that this kid needs you know set up for them and for you especially because you're going to go through some shit girl (laughs) so make sure you're ready so don't let me digress don't let me digress. <laughs> Moral of the story is I want another baby. I'm not going to have another baby. I'm going to wait. I'm going to give myself a few years and sort my life out and accomplish some things, lose some of this baby weight, tighten up, you know what I'm saying? And bond with my baby more, enjoy my baby, love on my baby, love on my daughter. And when I get to like 35, 36, then I'll decide if I want to push another one out because I ain't having no babies at 40, 41, 42, 43, 44. Nah, like I'm closing up the baby factory before I hit 40. I'm absolutely closing up shop either Bay is closing up his shop or I'm closing up my shop or both whatever we're not having no surprises in our 40s I don't want to be 45 50 years old chasing after a toddler that's not happening that's not what I want in my future <laughs> so that is not a blessing I want <laughs> anyways guys so I definitely want you to get into this episode and hear my conversation with my special guest Michelle so you can tell y'all all about her week wait her, her. <laughs> I'm so high. So you can tell you guys, I'm so high. (laughs) She can tell you guys all about her weed raves. You don't want to miss this. All right, guys, here you go. Welcome back, guys, to Blunt Blowing Mama podcast. I have my special guest here with you guys. She's like literally probably the dopest person just because she does something that I only wish I could do, just throw weed parties. (laughs) Hi. Yeah, go ahead and introduce yourself. Sure. Hi, everyone. I'm Michelle Luke. I am primarily a music and cannabis journalist. Um, I published a book this year called Weed, Everything You Want to Know But Are Always Too Stoned to Ask. But in my free time, I also threw a party called Weed Rave. Which, like, you have to tell people, like, what is that about? How did it come about? Like, I was telling Michelle before we got, like, started here that I was like, she was like, how did you find me? And I was like, I was just scrolling through Instagram because I'm always on Instagram. And I saw this thing for a weed rave. And I was like, what is this? <laughs> I think somebody like reposted it. And I was just like, I have to find out who is throwing this party. How can I get there? Like, when is it happening? Yeah. So like, what's a weed rave? Okay. So, you know, it's kind of a long story, but I'll try to give you the short version. I 
spent the last decade in New York, and I've always been really interested in what's happening here with, you know, the cannabis revolution. And I moved here to sort of be at the center of all the changes that are happening in stoner culture. And I was particularly interested in the idea of weed-centered nightlife, just because it's so new and there are so many possibilities, you know, surrounding creating a new kind of party culture that's around cannabis instead of alcohol. Like for so long, I think parties have been fueled by alcohol and alcohol has certain effects that like contribute to the environment and the energy around a party. I, as like a pretty regular stoner, <laughs> am a huge advocate of smoking weed before or during a party. And yeah, like I said, I was really interested in seeing how cannabis parties would start to take shape in this new era. But then when I started going to a lot of parties out in LA, I found that a lot of them were very sort of corporate and really oriented around the industry. You know, all of my really dope stoner friends who are not necessarily working for a weed brand, but are really into weed and are also really into art and music and fashion and all of these other things, they weren't really accessing the types of like weed parties that I was going to. So I was like, here is an opportunity to create a party for the people and create a new kind of party culture that I think reflects what weed is about, which I think, you know, if we want to talk a little about stigmas, I think that weed for a long time has been seen as a very hedonistic and destructive substance in the same way that rave culture is also seen as a very hedonistic and destructive activity. But I'm really trying to change the stigma for both of these things. I think that going out dancing late at night, maybe even alone, can be really therapeutic for yourself spiritually. And I think that cannabis is a really great way to take care of yourself as well. So in both of these regards, I think Weed Rave is very much about shifting the stereotype towards a cleaner, healthier, more welcoming image, reputation, culture around both of these things. I love that. And I think that like as someone who lives in LA, I used to live in New York as well, but I never thought about it that way that like in LA, you do have these parties where cannabis use is open and you may even be given like a joint at the door. I don't know, something or like there's a little area with a bud tender, you know, there's like, there's just weed everywhere. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's super industry. It's super like on a need to know basis. Like there's a guest list and like really like kind of exclusive only industry only kind of thing. And you don't really see like regular people, like for people outside of the cannabis industry at those parties. So unless they know somebody, right. In which case that's kind of like not cool. Like some people just want to smoke weed and go out and they don't want to have to go to a club with alcohol or a party with alcohol. So I never really thought about it like that, but there's such a need for that. So like, when did you have your first one? Like, and what went into like planning and making the first weed rave happen? And how long ago was that? So the first weed rave was in January and it was in a warehouse in downtown LA. It was a 12 and hour of January of this year. Oh, wow. Congrats. Yeah, so it's <laughs> new. <laughs> and um, it was a 12-hour party from 4.20 p.m. to 4.20 a.m. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> <laughs> Going along what I was saying before about 
changing the stigma, I really wanted to incorporate other elements of donor culture um, that are perhaps like educational or more about like fashion. So I had like a couple discussion panels actually um, kick off the party because I think it's really important to educate people and to talk about the issues around cannabis. Like it's such an interesting industry with like social, with a really strong social justice component. And, you know, I think that getting stoned and like talking with your friends is something that people already do. Cannabis is really good for like helping people get their guards down and to like have these really heady conversations. So we had two discussion panels and then we transitioned into a yoga class. <laughs> <laughs> which was really cool um to do in the middle of a rave <laughs> like <laughs> yoga at a rave is a vibe <laughs> and then it became sort of a more typical rave with two dance floors one with like more fast-paced like super dancey music and then a cbd chill out zone with like lots of cushions and ambient music and cpd cocktails that sounds like such a vibe i'm so jealous i wasn't there but i was definitely pregnant in january so <laughs> that would have not been great for my big ass but <laughs> that's funny. but um that sounds like so much fun so like what went into planning it like how long did it take you to plan it oh it took definitely two or three months because I had to figure out so many things from scratch. Didn't really have any other models to look towards. I mean, I think there have been we other weed raves in the past for sure. It's not like I'm saying I invented the concept, but mm-hmm. I don't really know of any that have happened in the legal era. And so figuring out everything from like, how do I sell tickets to a cannabis event like, does it have to be a party or is it like a public thing? Um, are we allowed to sell weed and alcohol? Um, just like dealing with brand sponsors for the first time as a journalist. That's not really something that I had much of a background in. It was definitely a huge learning experience for me. And it showed me how much ambiguity there still is around like weed events. Like a lot of the advice that I got, which always came from women, I got to say, like women were super, super supportive and have always been really supportive in the cannabis industry. But yeah, a lot of women that I hit up for advice, they just told me what they did, but they were like, I don't know if this is how it actually has to be. This is just what I do. You know what I'm saying? So yeah, I think the cannabis industry is still very much in flux and there's still a lot of like confusion. What was some of the advice you received? That I think cannabis brands want to give out samples of their products, but don't want to sell. I've experienced this. Yes, it's true. Right. <laughs> right. But, you know, it was really interesting because when I did the party in New York, um, all of the brands wanted to sell because it was all underground anyway. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. So it was really interesting to see the cultural differences between New York and L.A. weed party culture. At this point, like how many weed raves have you had in LA versus New York? And have you had them in any other cities? Are you looking at any other cities? Yeah. So I've done two in LA so far. In addition to the January one, we did a really chill one last month in Elysian Park. Mm-hmm. It was a daytime party and free. It was more of a community event. 
And I've been looking at Oakland as a potential next city. I just think that Oakland is so cool. And there's so many both stoners and ravers there, such a rich history um, of both of those things. So yeah, Oakland, holler at me. (laughs) (laughs) What's the turnout usually? And like, how are you marketing it? Because, you know, you can't really market cannabis really on Facebook and Instagram the way you can other products and, you know, events. So how do you go about that? Yeah, totally. So I think that we have several barriers to entry to keep it a little bit of a gated community. I think because cannabis is so appealing to so many different types of people, um, you can really get people from all walks of life, which is great. But sometimes you do want to sort of limit the access if you're trying to create a safe space, right? Right. And I'm very, very interested in creating a space that's particularly welcoming to women and people of color and queer people in the cannabis world. So yeah, we have like a password protection system when you want to buy tickets. You need to have a password from someone in the community or from me. Um, The Weed Rave Instagram is a private account. You have to request a follow and I approve every single person. And yeah, I mean, I sort of utilize a lot of my press network to promote the party. I think that's one of the benefits of being a journalist transitioning into the event space is that, you know, I have a huge network of press outlets that have been really generous in covering us. And that's been like one of the best ways, I think, to promote it. And really, it's just about word of mouth. You know, LA is like an interesting city where I think it's very much a lot of things fly under the radar. It's very decentralized and it relies a lot on these, you know, tight knit community networks that aren't necessarily immediately visible, but are definitely there and very strong. So I think it's about learning to tap into those networks. And you definitely hit the nail on the head. That's been my experience with LA too, which is totally different than New York going out culture because it's just like Manhattan's a city of 8 million people and they're all on this island. So (laughs) of course, like it's easier to find things to do and find the right people. And because we are all probably running in the same circles and going to the same happy hours. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. but yeah, so I love the idea of a weed rave. And so I was like, this girl is so cool. I have to like get her on the podcast just to talk about that. Thank you. But you know, one of the most interesting things about this party that I just want to share really quick is like, I find that the energy at this party to be completely different from other non-weed centric parties. Mm-hmm. I find that like people are really friendly and they're almost kind of goofy because we can make you kind of goofy, you know, and playful. And just the act of like passing a blunt to a stranger forces you to almost interact with them. So there's a lot of sort of like strangers talking to strangers and like people giggling in a corner. And I think like weed encourages you to not be pretentious. And a lot of the times when you go to parties, everyone's like too obsessed with trying to be cool and like, you know, standing off in the distance, looking at everyone, but not really talking to anyone. Um, And I think that the energy at a cannabis party is super interesting to me. I think it's 
a little psychedelic. It's very intimate. It's very warm. And it really like brings you more into the moment compared to alcohol, which I think can make you a little bit numb and less aware and less sort of plugged into all of the sensory stimulus around you, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, I I 100% agree. Um, Going off of that, I kind of want to talk more about you now. And I just want to hear like, why, (laughs) why would someone think to throw a weed rape? I need to know about you and weed. So like, (laughs) when's the first time you smoked weed? And like, tell me a little bit about like your cannabis journey. Like, what does your cannabis use look like today versus when you first started? And yeah. For sure. So I grew up in Singapore. I was born in Singapore and raised between Singapore, Tokyo, and New York. Cannabis is not even on the table. It has such a strong stigma. It's pretty much in the same category as like harder, way harder drugs. And there's very little separation between the two. So I always kind of grew up thinking cannabis is a very dangerous and a substance that only like delinquents and criminals would engage with or like the really bad like punk kids in my high school or whatever. (laughs) Um, So I only really started smoking weed in college, which is pretty late, I would say, compared to a lot of my friends. But I became a pretty heavy stoner immediately and was always sort of like an enthusiast. It wasn't until I really moved out to Los Angeles that I entered the cannabis industry per se. And I kind of had an interesting entryway into it because I started out as a music journalist in New York and, you know, was writing so much about nightlife and party culture. When I moved to LA, I just started going to a lot of weed parties. That's how I started getting to know the industry. And that's how I wrote my book as well. Whenever I met someone particularly interesting at a party, I would pick their brains and find out like what sorts of areas of interest that they were currently engaged in or who they would recommend that I interview. That was like, I think, a really cool way for me to explore the industry because it really gave me a sense of what was happening on the ground. Cool. And what is your cannabis use today? You say you're like a heavy stoner, but what does that actually entail? Are you using bongs? Are you using joints? Like, what are you dabbing? Have you ever dabbed? (laughs) So it's really interesting. I was always sort of like a joint slash pre-roll kind of girl. And now I'm getting a little into like the microdose edible situation, (laughs) like the Mm -hmm. weed mint, um, just like Edibles that only have like 5 to 10 milligrams. I think that my relationship to cannabis has changed a little. I just turned 30 this year. Congrats. (laughs) And I um, decided to do this thing that I've been calling California Sober. Oh, yeah. I've been trying that too, but I love wine too much, so I don't know. (laughs) Oh, I totally get it. (laughs) But yeah, like the whole thing about California Sober was about trying to have a healthier relationship to drugs and to partying. So I gave up a lot of drugs, um, a lot of harder drugs. And interestingly, I think my relationship to cannabis has also changed where I just am really privileging sobriety right now. And so as a result, I'm not getting stoned every single day. And I'm sort of appreciating microdosing as well as sort of, you know, like topical 
uses of cannabis, like weed balms to like treat my aching joints in my old age. (laughs) It's great for after a workout. (laughs) Yeah, it really works. It's amazing. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I 100% agree with you on that. I mean, I love I have like this CBD um, oil tincture, whatever you want to call it. I put a couple drops under under my tongue whenever I have like a headache or I have like cramps for my period. I'm just like, oh, and like a couple drops and then like, boom, I feel fine. Everything's great. You know, and it's just like, wow, like how amazing. And I didn't even get high for this. Like I didn't smoke anything. Like it's just like, it's just medicine, you know, and um, when you really get into cannabis, you really start to view it for what it is, which is a plant. (laughs) Right. You know, I learned something really interesting the other day, which is that the female reproductive system has the highest concentration of endocannabinoid receptors uh, after the human brain. So that means that weed is particularly good at treating female reproductive problems or pain. And that makes so much sense because I, I had a guest on the podcast like a couple, a few episodes back, um, Ashley Kingsley of Elemento, which is like this women's um, group that, you know, brings women all over the country together who are interested in cannabis events and business and networking. And she was telling me how she uses cannabis for treating menopause. And I was amazed. I was just like, wait, what? And she's like, yes, it's actually so perfect for like a lot of the things that, you know, will happen to your body and to you as you start to go through menopause and experience menopause. And she's like, why isn't anybody telling people this? But it makes perfect sense if it can help you with cramps, if it can help you with morning sickness, if it can help you with, you know, headaches. And, you know, why wouldn't it be able to help you through menopause, you know? So the more you know. (laughs) I mean, yeah, I'm really interested in how weed can help with like female specific health issues as well as mental health issues. Mm-hmm. And one of the most interesting interviews from my book was with this woman named Ashley Monta, who's like um, a sex oh, therapist. Oh, yeah, a sexual. I had her on the podcast. Yeah, exactly. She's amazing. <laughs> and she told me that she started using cannabis as a way to treat. PTSD from sexual trauma Mm -hmm. and that only through smoking and using things like weed lube was she able to sort of reconnect with her body and process that trauma and enjoy sex again. And that really blew my mind. I'd never thought of weed in association with sexual trauma, but it also just makes so much sense. Yeah, of course. And that's why it just it drives me nuts that there's such a stigma on weed when I've heard nothing of like, nothing short of like inspirational, you know, stories from women who say that like, it's basically saved their life, changed their life, helped them to keep living their life in some other form of, you know, that. And I can see nothing but good in it. You know, when you use it responsibly, obviously with anything, they're easy to abuse a lot of things. You can abuse cannabis too, but when you use it responsibly, it's one of the most helpful medicines out there. Totally. I mean, I think it's about, honestly, the policing of the female body throughout history. Oh, yeah. You know, I think that women especially have always been subject to society telling them what's good or bad for them. And I think that a lot of the stereotypes around weed 
which is, you know, that it makes you lazy, stupid, bad at making decisions, kind of reckless. All of these stereotypes, I think, have been applied disproportionately to women. Like women already face an inherent bias surrounding like, you know, not being as intelligent or being less capable. So I think that that maybe, uh, you know, contributes to why like a lot of women hide their cannabis use. Yeah. And that's like a perfect segue into what I wanted to ask you next, which is, are you open with your cannabis use? And if you are or you aren't, like why and why not? You know, especially being a professional um, with, you know, like a, a career and everything. And I know you said you write about weed, but, you know, did you find it hard at first to tell your family and coworkers or just your community around you that you use cannabis or like what was that like for you? Yeah, I mean, it depends because I occupy several different worlds. It, here in L.A., I mean, smoking weed is just like breathing air. <laughs> it's not an <laughs> issue at all. But in Asia, it's completely different. And I'm not going to lie, like it was really scary to come out of the green closet to my parents because in Singapore, they don't even know what weed smells like. You know, to them, it's like, it's like, what's the difference between weed and cocaine or something? Mm. And I just kept reiterating to them over and over, it's legal and it's medicine and it's a plant. You know, just those three things over and over and over again, I think has helped them a little bit come around towards it. And I think that as they watch me sort of navigate this industry and whether it's moderating discussion panels at prestigious events or interviewing someone who started a conference for women in leadership positions in weed, like all of these sorts of legitimizing um, factors, I think have been pretty helpful in helping um, my family come around towards it. But I think there's still a bit of work to go. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm in the same boat with you on that one. Like, it's really hard to get the parents to really understand um, that it's legal <laughs> at yeah. the end of the day in some states, at least. I mean, my mom's in Georgia and it's not. I mean, the stigma is super heavy there. So even legality or regardless, I mean, she grew up learning the war on drugs. And so I'm learning that that's really hard for her to unlearn. And even when I brought her here to L.A., I was like, Mom, that's a dispensary. Like they sell weed there. That is a dispensary. And she's like, what? What is? And I had to explain it to her and it blew her mind and she just couldn't understand. Like it just made no sense to her <laughs> how this could legally exist. Right. I would love yeah, to get my I mom high though. <laughs> no, one day, one day I'm going to get stoned with my mom and it's going to be amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Aside from that in, you know, telling your family, I feel like it's one of the big things that, you know, Hey, I smoke weed and I'm okay. But aside from that, like, have you noticed that there's been any stigma on yourself being a woman of color? Or have you noticed, like, just being a woman and, like, you lighting up a joint? Like, have people looked at you sideways? Or, like, what has been your experience? Yeah, I mean, you know, I think, again, that there's the stigma of female stoners being sort of like party girls or sort of lazy burnout. And particularly, I think, for women of color who already face, like, a greater bias towards that, it definitely does still linger. But I think it's very much about 
trying to shift the image of weed from destructive hedonism to this is about wellness and self-care and medicine. And we're not lazy stoners. We're entrepreneurs. We're innovators. We're leaders. And I think that is the direction of how the culture is changing already. You know, I was just in a, I was just at a um, women in weed conference in Palm Springs two weeks ago. And it was so cool to see. Tell me about it. How, How was it? I really wanted to go. It was amazing. It was super inspiring to see like hundreds of women all in or trying to enter the cannabis industry. And many of them were around my age or younger and they're like killing it. That's awesome. So uh, for anyone who doesn't know, like tell them a little bit about the retreat that you went to and like its purpose and you know, where it took place and everything. For sure. So it was called females to the front. This was the second year is run by a organization called The Initiative, which sort of supports female entrepreneurs. Um, Yeah, it was basically at the Ace Hotel in Palm Springs. So there was a lot of chilling by the pool and smoking lots of free weed and then going inside and listening to a talk and then going back out and eating a ton of food. (laughs) It was super fun. And that sounds like paradise. (laughs) (laughs) I know take me there. (laughs) The next thing I kind of really want to ask you is what advice would you give to someone? Because I mean, technically New York is like an illegal state sort of when it comes to weed. How would someone go about finding good weed in an illegal state? Well, New York is like changing so quickly. I mean, I think that legalization is still kind of far away from from New York, but the underground weed world in New York is so strong. Like when I was throwing my weed rave in New York, I went to a ton of weed parties that were happening in like abandoned office buildings at night in Midtown. <laughs> oh, nice. And I was just like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> <laughs> like this is crazier than 99% of the raves that I've been to in like crazy warehouses. <laughs> Because it actually felt like something, it felt like a weed speakeasy. And those parties tended to be thrown by delivery services. So all of their clients would come through and you would just get like the craziest mix of people in a room. <laughs> and they would set up like a little dispensary in the back and like sell products in the back. And then you could like hang out in the front and like dance or like play video games or whatever. That was kind of the vibe. And that was probably one of the most fun ways for me to get weed in New York. Obviously, there are so many delivery services out there. I feel like it's really not that hard to find a delivery service in New York. And I mean, online, you can actually go on like weed maps or a website that lists dispensaries. But of course, if you're in a legal state, those dispensaries tend to be um, medical. Right, right. How would someone be able to d- discern like the weed that they bought, you know, in a legal state is good weed? Yeah, you know, I think this question has become really important right now in light of all the vaping deaths. Right. You know, long story short, there's been like a string of vaping related deaths happening across the country. And it's been tied towards like additives that have been put into vapes. 
that were sold in the underground market that hadn't been quality controlled or tested or sold in the dispensary. They were like, you know, backlot vapes that were being sold like under the table. I think that if you are living in a state without those sorts of quality controls, it is even more important to know where you're getting your bud from. I mean, it's similar to honestly, like other types of drugs. I think that you know, there are ways to sort of like test the quality of your drug and also, yeah, just sort of knowing the source and knowing where it comes from. Another thing that I would suggest actually, depending on where you live, is growing your own weed. That's kind of the best way to ensure the quality, right? It also, I think, promotes like a really cool connection to the plant when you're actually like growing it. Um, and tending to it every day, I think being able to smoke the herb that you grow yourself is so special. Oh, yeah. I can't wait to get to that place. I haven't started growing it, but I think I will next year. And I'm so ready. <laughs> mm-hmm. Same. <laughs> yeah. So I definitely agree with what you said there. And just try to know your source. But I remember like being in Georgia or even in New York, like I had a a guy, my dealer, he was like a really cool guy. And, you know, he had like good packaging of his product. I didn't really get like a sandwich bag, Ziploc bag weed from him, but (laughs) I have been on vacation like in another state or whatever and had a friend who hooked me up with somebody who had a guy, you know, and like my weed would come in like a little Ziploc baggie and it's just like, okay, here's your $20, you know, and keep it going. I look at the weed like, I think this is okay. Let me smell. Like the only thing I could do was smell it. (laughs) And that was kind of like my way of deciding if this is really worth like my $20 and should I actually smoke this? (laughs) And then you compare that to like the crazy new products that are entering the market on the other side of the spectrum. You know what I mean? Like, you know, just like joints that are calibrated to the time of the day and the position of the moon. (laughs) (laughs) I'm serious. That's the thing that exists. People are getting wild out there with the marketing and, but I think it's great. I think it's great that cannabis culture is becoming kind of very sophisticated and also very diverse in terms of the different types of aesthetics, the different types of products. And especially, you know, the types of, cannabis brands that are oriented around women are very interesting. Oh yeah, for sure. I, I'm just always amazed and I am always trying to seek out brands that are owned by women catering to women. And, you know, it's exquisite, some really beautiful stuff out there. And the industry is definitely evolving and turning into something that's for people of a, there's something, if you have an acquired taste, you know, if you want the upper echelon of cannabis and cannabis products it's out there for you (laughs) don't doubt that it's not you know don't believe the hype about weed and everything we definitely like weed has elevated itself exponentially in these past few years especially over here in LA where I feel like I'm in a fucking bubble of like all these gadgets and gadgets and ways to get your weed and then like there's the Lowell Cafe the cafe opening up here in West Hollywood I think in October and it's going to be like they tout themselves as America's first cannabis 
lounge cafe and it's just like what the hell is going on in the world (laughs) i'm sorry about that restaurant i actually wrote a story about it for playboy that just came out Mm -hmm. and i went to their restaurant about a month ago while they were still under construction and Mm -hmm. interviewed the chef behind it who is a young black woman named andrea drummer Mm -hmm. um super impressive, like came from the underground weed dining world, like had like all these pop-up weed dinners for private clients and then started working with Lowell and was a huge part in like shaping their social justice program. And, you know, she's always been very outspoken about hiring black and brown people in her kitchens and providing opportunities for those who have been incarcerated for cannabis to like enter the industry. So I find her super inspiring. It's also really funny. I didn't realize this about her, but she used to be an anti-drug counselor. (laughs) What? Now that I did not know. (laughs) Totally against drugs when she was younger, when she was living in Florida, because of all the stigma and things that she was told about it. And it was only until she like moved to New York and started working for a really like powerful attorney who was also a really heavy stoner that she realized, oh, wait, you can be really professional and successful and still smoke weed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but yeah, like the, the funny thing about that restaurant also is that they're not actually able to infuse their food with weed. They're not. And there's also really strict rules in place, um, I think, by the city. I'm not sure, but about when they can actually sell the cannabis and there's a strict cutoff time. So you can keep consuming it, but they all stop selling it after a certain time, much sooner than bars stop selling alcohol. I'll tell you that. I think it's like 9.30 or 10 or something. Right, exactly. And they can't infuse the food because of, I think, federal sanitary or, or maybe it was state sanitary code, something about food sanitary inspections. They're like, mm-hmm. we can't actually put the weed into the food, but instead they're going to have all of these weed sommeliers coming through. Yeah, you have a weed pairing. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. The kind of joint that you should smoke with your dinner, which is still crazy. Like, I can't wait to go and just light up a giant joint while smoking. I mean, while eating dinner. <laughs> I know. I'm going um, on the third or the second one of those days, and I am so excited. And it's in my neighborhood. I live in West Hollywood. So I'm like, okay, okay you guys, I'm obviously going to be a regular. And so don't judge me. <laughs> it's like never been a better time to live in L.A. right now. And it's like this is so I'm fascinating. But on the flip side of that, while I get super excited about, you know, ventures, such as this cafe opening up here in uh, West Hollywood, I also and I look at MedMen and it looks like a freaking Apple store. And, you know, like you have like all these pop up shops and all these big brands making a lot of money off of weed. And I'm celebrating that because I think like, yes, finally coming to the front, like we can see like what the cannabis industry is really about. And like, you know, these are all positive representations and I love that. But then I also think about the people who are still sitting in jail over weed and how so many generations of people have been traumatized and like, especially black and brown people to think that weed is only going to land me in jail, you know? Well, maybe they're just trying to make a living and sell it or, you know, or maybe they're just enjoying it like regular people do now. And it's not a big deal. And it's just like, damn, like, do you feel like that conflict sometimes of like, this is great, but also this is still sucks. (laughs) Yeah, definitely. 
differently. But I think that what's really encouraging about the weed industry is that people are really talking about these issues of criminal justice, restorative justice, and how the carceral system and the war on drugs has disproportionately affected marginalized communities and figuring out solutions to sort of like address that. And I think that, yeah, this is such a unique industry in that we have the opportunity to create like concrete legislation around social justice and and social equity programs. Like I think Oakland has been really amazing in leading this sort of movement towards creating opportunities for those who have been disproportionately affected by um by the war on drugs. And um yeah, every time I go to like a weed conference or a talk or anything, these issues are brought up. So I think that this is a industry that is very aware of all of the injustice that's happened before this moment. And I think, you know, I don't want to say like, oh, everything is going to be fine because we're talking about it. Obviously, that's not true. And a lot of really powerful white corporate male interests are definitely taking over the industry. One thing that I find really disheartening actually is that the percentage of female entrepreneurs and leaders in executive positions in the cannabis industry has been falling in the last few years. But yeah, I don't know. I think that because this is such an interesting transitional moment in the industry where, you know, a lot of minorities are getting edged out or even like blocked out of the industry, like with the Farm Act, not allowing those previous convictions to enter the industry, stuff like that. But because that's happening, I feel like there's an equally strong reaction where women are banding together, people of color are banding together and actively creating, you know, whether it's like an organization or a collective to help more women and more people of color enter this industry. There's a really strong support network. I agree with you. And I feel like it's going to happen. <laughs> the way I'm seeing people in this industry, they're not afraid to speak up and speak on any inequalities. And I think that as this conversation of legalization continues to push forward across the country and cannabis becomes more mainstream, that this discussion of, you know, making sure that there's equity is going to be like attached right firmly to the hip as it should be <laughs> and included in that conversation, which is awesome. So I just have like a couple more questions for you. I don't want to take up your whole entire life. <laughs> I wanted to ask you um, about your book. Like, how did that come about? I know, like, you're a journalist, you're doing the weed raves, which, like, what? Super dope. And then, like, well, how did the book come about? And then tell everyone a little bit of, about what the book's about. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So the book is called Weed, Everything You Want to Know But Are Always Too Stoned to Ask. It came about because an editor at Random House's art book section reached out to me and said, you know, I was wondering if you'd be interested in writing a guide to cannabis. And at first, obviously, I was very flattered, but I was like, is that going to be interesting for me to write? Like, that sounds kind of basic, you know, that sounds like something for noobs. And so I hesitated, but then I started talking to my friends and so many people we're like, wait, I would love to have something like that, especially from someone like you who's like really into the culture. So many of my friends confessed 
to me that they have questions about we that they're too scared to ask <laughs> because they like feel like everyone around them is like such a stoner that they would be laughed out of the room. Really? So, like, I'm just curious. What were those questions? I mean, I think it's everything from like, what's the difference between all the different types of dab? What is a dab even? Mm-hmm. You know, And like, how do you dab? And like, what are the different types of like concentrates that you can use? Um, to more like cultural questions, like, can you ask a stranger to smoke their weed or like, how do you like smoke weed with other people in like a circle? Like, is there like, you know, the whole like puff, puff, pass thing, like how many puffs do you take? Just like small sorts of like stoner etiquette kind of thing. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So I decided to sort of write a book towards that audience in mind while also sort of investigating areas of stoner culture that i myself was not as versed in because it's changing so quickly. So for example, like I interviewed a weed sommelier about how they create weed pairings based on, you know, the smells and flavors and terpenes of weed and all the different types of terpenes there are. I also interviewed someone who went to weed school about what that was like and what you learn when you go to like wait weed school like where's the this weed school I need to know more (laughs) yeah I mean there are a lot of weed school all over but I was interviewing someone who went to Oaksterdam which is in Oakland it's one of the oldest weed schools in America I think it started in 2007 wow that's so awesome. <laughs> like, my mind is kind of blown right now. I'm just thinking about that. I feel like weed, and I kind of say this a lot, should be put in like curriculum. Like kids should be learning about cannabis in school. Doctors should be learning about cannabis in med school. Like it should be in the curriculum. Like we should be learning about this. We should know. Definitely. I think that education, research, like hard facts and knowledge is the strongest way to defeat a lot of the stigma around the plant. 100% agree with you. And that's why I was so excited about your book because people need those kinds of resources when they have those questions and they're too scared to ask somebody. And I get a lot of questions um, sent to me that people feel just too afraid to ask anyone, you know, and they're, because no one knows that they smoke weed or that they're interested in smoking weed. Having a book like yours is like a good resource to say, hey, you should check out this book. I think that it's something that will really help you. And that's like the first step in education or even there's this magazine called Broccoli Magazine that comes out. I think it's like three or four issues a year or something like that. And it's really a great resource. She has good reporting and interviews and, you know, talking about the issues in the cannabis community and in those who are cannabis consumers, but never using a lot of language that if you're not in the industry, you wouldn't understand, you know, not a lot of jargon. It's something that it's easy to digest and makes it so you're like, wow, okay, so this is what's really happening with cannabis right now. Like I could use this for my, I don't know, fibromyalgia. I don't know. I'm just making shit up. (laughs) But, you know, being able to read about it and see it and see it being discussed in so many different forms is critical at this point, I feel, because it helps spread positive information and other types of information that you may not be able to find anywhere else. Right. And so, or just another resource for you to utilize. And you should always double check everything guys. (laughs) Even if you read an article about something, you should cross check it. Just (laughs) definitely. And I love Brackley magazine a lot. I think they're one of the coolest 
weed publications out there. I just saw that they're celebrating their anniversary, actually. And what I think is really interesting about Broccoli is they kind of blew up based on not solely, but one of the things that really jumped out about them was their first magazine cover, which was the Weed Ikebana, which is like Japanese flower arrangement. But then they used weed plants. And that image, I think, was so resonant to so many people because it was like, oh my God. It was striking. It's like a beautiful flower arrangement with cannabis. It's elegant, it's sophisticated, it's feminine. It's all of these things that like the new weed culture is about. And that image went viral. I saw it everywhere. Mm-hmm. And I think it became so associated with like what broccoli is about. And obviously they do so much good work editorially. But yeah, I think that image was just like, so, so strong. I mean, the creative direction of the magazine in itself, aside from the editorial side, is just, you know, it's stunning. It's definitely a, a joy to just look at. You, If you're not even reading the words and you're just flipping through the pages, like, it's aesthetically pleasing. <laughs> I could go on and on. I freaking love that magazine. Um, and I actually had the creator, Anya, on podcast um, a few episodes ago. I don't know. I don't know the episode number. I'm not one of those podcasters who are like on episode number 85. <laughs> but I did speak to her and she's she's actually really smart and really in tune with the industry and really like committed to telling the truth about cannabis, you know, in any way and form that that truth looks while also just making it look so damn pretty. <laughs> I enjoyed chatting with you and I feel like we could talk about all this shit all day. (laughs) And like, it's fascinating everywhere that this industry is going. And, you know, I guess my only question left for you is what's next? Like what's going on? What can people look forward to from Michelle? Well, big news. I'm actually announcing today that I am throwing my next weed rave on Halloween weekend, it's going to be called Halloween <laughs> and it's going to be on October 25th in a warehouse in like the downtown LA area. We're going to have a lot of weed candies so that people can go trick or treating <laughs> for <laughs> weed candies and chocolates. We're also going to have like sort of a haunted house situation, but it's going to be the twist is that it's going to be full of things that donors are afraid of kind of playing up the idea of like a nightmare trip like how do we make things scary for donors (laughs) 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 but don't worry because we're also gonna have like a cbd safe space (laughs) that's great (laughs) our costumes welcome of course i want people to really riff on the idea of weed costumes whatever that means I'll just show up as like Wiz Khalifa or something. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) Or maybe I'll be Rihanna, actually. I feel more like I'm a Rihanna. (laughs) That's sick. I actually, I was saying that I've been looking for a Halloween party. I was really hoping that one would pop up that also incorporated weed because that's how I really like to party. Um, So I will definitely be there. (laughs) I can't wait. I've been thinking about my costume like for the past couple of days. Like, what am I going to be this year? I think I may have just been inspired. I think I'm going to be Rihanna. So. <laughs> the queen stoner. Right? Anyone's like stoners are lazy and they, they don't accomplish anything. I'm like, well, look at Rihanna. She has like 20 businesses. 
right and so successful and like and she gives back to the community it's just i don't understand like what are you talking about stoners are the best (laughs) Mm -hmm. if anyone wants to reach you how can they reach you what's the best way to, to find you or follow you probably just reaching out over dm on instagram or twitter i'm at michelle luke l h o o q thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today i really I really appreciate it. And I can't wait to go to your weed rave. (laughs) Thank you. See you on the dance floor. Yes. (laughs) Thank you guys for listening to this episode of Blunt Blowing Mama podcast. I hope you enjoyed it in my conversation with Michelle. I mean, how crazy is it that she throws weed raves, right? I I fucking love that shit. It's so dope. So I'm really looking forward to her Halloween. (laughs) party if you're in LA definitely check that out it sounds like it's gonna be super dope I'll have all the information and details in my show notes for the show so definitely read those and you'll be able to know if you how and when you can cop your tickets for it and yeah I mean I just love introducing to you guys all the dope women and movers and shakers here in the cannabis industry because I, I have a platform why not share it why not pass the mic right so if you love this episode, feel free to share it with a friend, you know, share it with your grandmammy and share it with your pappy and your pops and your mom, whatever, you know, share the episode. And if you would like to leave a review or subscribe, then I definitely think that you should go with that inclination and subscribe or leave a review for Blunt Blowing Mama podcast. Blunt Blowing Mama podcast is available on all platforms. Uh, You can leave a review on Apple Podcasts. And if you ever have any questions or shout outs or just want to say, what's up, girl, then you can always send me an email at bluntblowingmama at gmail.com. You can also follow Blunt Blowing Mama on Instagram and Twitter. You can like Blunt Blowing Mama on Facebook. And, you know, smoke signals. I can catch one of those maybe if you want to send one of those my way. <laughs> Lastly, are you a patron? Are you a Blunt Boy Mama patron? If you're not, then you definitely should be one because you're listening to this podcast. It means that you, on some level, like it, right? So if you like it, you sh- you're really going to love being a patron because patrons get extra episodes of the podcast a month up to like three extra episodes of the podcast a month. And it's only exclusive patron-only content. Yeah, that's really dope. You guys will also get, you know, merch because Blunt Boy Mama merch is coming very soon. So patrons are going to be the first ones to get the merch. You're going to get it for free 99 because <laughs> you're you're helping support me and helping me so that I can make all these things happen. Also, patrons get shout outs on the podcast and so, so, so much more dope shit you also get access to like live streams you get access to archive live streams or like instagram lives that i did and you know they go away after 24 hours but i usually talk about stuff i answer questions during my lives so that's definitely content that patrons will be able to have yeah you have access to me episode ideas that you may have send those to me and patrons you know you guys get priority so If you want to be part of that, that sounds like something that you want to roll with and you got $2 in your pocket, then you can be a patron. (laughs) Just go to bluntboymama.com backslash podcast and click on the link that says click here to become a Blunt Boy Mama patron. And yeah, you can sign up and be a patron today. 
Also, if you go to bluntboymamas.com backslash podcast, you can see all my podcast episodes and check them all out and listen. It's a great place to see my show notes and also to, you know, see more things. You can click around on the website and check out my blog. I have a lot of pieces about parenthood and about sex and relationships and weed that are, you know, I think really dope to read if you have a moment. And yeah, that's all I got. I have so many things that I feel like I'm going to be unraveling, not unraveling, <laughs> announcing. Oh my gosh, this lava cake, yo. Um, <laughs> this strain's really got me feeling it and I love it. But yeah, so I mean, keep an eye out for merch for Blunt Blind Mama. That's coming very soon. I might have already announced it. If, if you're listening to this, it may have already been announced. Maybe, maybe not. I don't know. I, I'm working on like a billion things at once. I'm also currently working on the second season of Blunt Boy Mama podcast, which I think you guys are going to really, really enjoy. I already got a few episodes in the bag for, and it's just like, I'm, I'm so happy with everything that I'm doing right now. And I'm so happy that you guys are encouraging me and you appreciate it and love it just as much as I do. Believe me, I'm putting my everything into all of the stuff that I'm putting out for you guys. And if I didn't believe in it, I wouldn't be, you know, putting it out there. So thank you so much for all your support. I really appreciate it. And, you know, watching Blunt Blunt Mama Grow is just like, it's like my third baby. <laughs> so I really appreciate all y'all support, all my patrons, uh, Duce, Ziva, um, who else? Who else? Oh my gosh, Dishnidria, your stoner brain, you're fucking up right now. <laughs> Ernest for sending me some money via Venmo, which is always an option. <laughs> So it's to support uh, Blunt Boy Mama. And uh, thank you to Kayla, who's the first patron, the first person to sign up. I love you so much, girl. Your support means everything. Um, Also, Carla, thank you so much for signing up and being a patron. And who else? Who else? Who else? Oh, my gosh. I'm forgetting. And I'm such a stoner. And I feel like, what the fuck is wrong? Like, I'm going to end this and I'm going to be like, you dummy. You left out. <laughs> I don't remember, but I think I got most of everyone. Um, you know, just thank you so much for your support. It means everything to me. And being able to say that I have patrons and these people believe in me and support Blood Boy Mama. And I'm giving you these extra episodes and I'm giving you, you know, this merch. Like that's I want to make sure that you guys know that like I appreciate you. I appreciate my patrons so much. I appreciate you guys so much for listening. I hope that you're as stoned as I am right now. <laughs> Woo, child. I love this. I'm going to ride this wave. All right, guys. Bye. Bye.